Welcome back y'all to the Purpose of Money podcast. We are in season six and today we are gonna do something special to honor one of my first clients, Blake Anthony Bozeman. You are listening to the Purpose of Money podcast, a podcast where we talk about ways to build wealth and create more freedom in your life today. I am your host, Aquania Escarne. What's up, y'all? My name is Aquania Escarne. I am the host of the Purpose of Money podcast, and I am both sad and excited to start off this season. For one, we are going to dive into everything that's been going on since the end of season five, and it was a very busy summer and quite an adventuristic fall, so there's tons to talk about. But I'm also going to share a special dedication to Blake Bozeman, one of my first life insurance clients who was recently shot and killed in Washington, D.C. And now I want to not only honor his legacy, but talk about why it's so important to get life insurance outside of work. I've been a full-time entrepreneur for 21 weeks now, maybe 22 this week. And it's been a roller coaster. I've enjoyed more free time, being able to do staycations with the kids, work from anywhere, and I've been building the business. But I've also had to deal with the realities of being a life insurance producer and what that means when the worst happens. So on the evening of September 23rd, 2023, uh, a couple of people were in a DC club that someone decided to start shooting and shot four people. Blake Bozeman, my client, was the only one who did not survive. And on September 24th, his family was informed that he'd passed away. I was also informed that day. And I must say it was not only a shock because he was a friend, He was also a client who had recently talked to a member of my team. So we had just talked to Blake and we knew he was alive and well last week and now he's gone. But one of the things that I'm forever grateful for is that when we met when he was 28, he trusted me. He trusted me to help him with his finances and to work with him on creating a legacy that his family could benefit from. God forbid something happened. I know I've been selling life insurance since 2016, and I know that in order for families to receive the death benefit, someone normally has to die. I just never imagined that I would have to file my first death claim so soon. Most of my clients are my age or around my age, and Blake was only 31 years old at the time of his death. I attended his memorial recently and I was overwhelmed by the number of people that he's touched and blessed in his life of only 31 years. I swear there were over 200 people who gathered at Morgan State University to honor his legacy and to share their thoughts and prayers on what he did to them in their lives. Blake was an amazing father, a role model in the black community, a husband, and a true serial entrepreneur. He's someone who was constantly grinding to build for the community and his people. And he spent a lot of his time outside of work and when he wasn't running his businesses to help black youth 
who were talented athletes who he wanted to inspire to pursue life outside of sports after their athletic careers were over. Blake was also a very good basketball player himself. He actually played for four years in college at Morgan State University and was even under the coaching of his father, uh, Mr. Bozeman. But it really hurt my heart to hear that Blake was not only shot and killed, but left behind a recently married wife. They married in July and were looking forward to spending the rest of their life together. And I had the pleasure to be a part of Blake's life for many years. You know, I remember when he bought the ring and needed to fit it in his budget and we worked on that. I remember him just asking all the right questions to see how could he set up his investments in a way that would benefit his family. And I'm just grateful to know that he took my advice. He listened. He started his vending machine business. He started a nonprofit organization, uh, Pivot Group, where he did help Black youth learn financial literacy. And I even had the pleasure of speaking to that group a couple of times, using uh, fun games to teach budgeting and money principles, and also to teach them the importance of saving and investing for themselves. I am glad that I had the opportunity to get to know Blake I'm glad he let me help him with his finances. He took my advice and his family will be financially okay. But I realized that life insurance and investments won't bring Blake back, but they will help his family maintain the life he worked so hard to give them. And it'll give his wife and his children an ability to grieve and to take the time they need to remember their dad, but also not have to struggle financially while they heal. This is a great time to do a financial checkup. Um, I offer a financial analysis to anyone who's willing to do the checkup, go over their numbers and do a deep dive. And I will leave a link to that in the show notes. So if you're interested, you can take advantage of the opportunity. I also wanna take the time to remind you that it's super important to have insurance outside of work because you never know what's gonna happen to your job, but when you have insurance outside of work, you are protected, you are able to change jobs and not be at risk of not having the coverage you need because we never know what's gonna happen. I also wanna remind you to update your beneficiaries on all of your assets. Without doing so, you may be leaving money to the wrong person or requiring your family to go through a very costly and lengthy probate process just to access the items that you've left for them. So it's important to do what you need to do to get your affairs in order. I wanna also remind you to communicate. Communicate with your family or at least someone in your family that you trust to handle your final affairs. Let them know where the documents are, who to contact. I'm still grateful that although I feared having that first conversation with his wife and having to extend my condolences and also explain what happens next, I'm glad that she knew who to contact and what to do. And I could help her along the way. And also I could help his family, um, parents and others deal with what happens next. I know that now it's even more important that I continue to be an educational source for anyone who's curious about life insurance or wants to know how it can be used to create a legacy for their family. 
he just reminded me that I have so many more people to help because I'm grateful that I didn't see a GoFundMe for Blake Bozeman. And I didn't have to see that because he got his affairs in order. If you need help, please seek professional assistance, either from a financial advisor, financial coach, life insurance producer, someone who can help you. I'd be more than happy to be a resource for you as well. I wanted to take this opportunity to share some of the wisdom that Blake previously shared on the Purpose of Money podcast. I interviewed him before about being a dad, a serial entrepreneur, a realtor, and starting a vending machine business. And I wanted to take this opportunity to share that episode again so that it can bless you guys. You can also hear some of the words of Blake Bozeman from his past. And may this episode inspire you to pursue your entrepreneurial journey, get your affairs in order, and contact me today if you need help. Hope you enjoy this episode. Hope you enjoy season six because I have so much to share. I will be sharing my full-time entrepreneurship journey, more stories from entrepreneurs out there who are killing it, and so much more. Um, I really hope that you enjoy this episode and get so much value out of it. Until next time, guys, keep building generational wealth and make sure to share this episode with anyone who needs to hear it. Hey guys, welcome back to the Purpose of Money podcast. Today, I'm super excited to have on the show one of my clients, best realtors in the DC, Maryland, and Virginia area, Blake Bozeman. He is a realtor who loves to talk, sell, and buy real estate, but he's also the new up-and-coming vending machine (laughs) mogul, so I say. He's here today because I want to talk about how to build multiple streams of income, specifically in the space of vending machines, and then we'll talk about some of the other stuff Blake has going on. So hi, Blake. Welcome to the show. Hey, thank you for having me, Aquania. I am excited and happy to be here. I am too. It's not that often I get to interview some of my clients on the show, but I remember when we first met, we just started out talking about finances. Mm -hmm. You had a nine to five job and your family. Tell the audience for me, what has happened since then? Because I feel like you've been on a roller coaster. Yeah, so much has happened since then. So yeah, I don't even remember the organizing platform or how I came about the uh, the meeting that you all had scheduled. Uh, I've always been curious and interested in finance, just from the perspective of how can we make our money work for ourselves and how can we multiply it? And I think it was great that we were able to connect that way. At that time, I was doing contracting. I was doing procurement and acquisition for Department of Defense, DOD agencies. And I don't, I'm not even sure I had even had my real estate license yet. If I did, I certainly wasn't, I hadn't quite gotten started. No, Um, you didn't have it. Cause that was a part of our discussions is how to transition into full-time entrepreneurship. So I was one income, W-2. Uh, and yeah, I was just, I wasn't happy with, uh, with my career. I'll be frank and say I was getting paid pretty well, but it just, it wasn't fulfilling. And I was just uneasy about showing up to work five days a week and my, my work commute and everything like that. Uh, and so that's where I was then. How many years ago was that? Was that maybe 
four or five years. Yeah, four or five years. Four years ago. And yeah, since then, I guess we can fast track to now. I am, <laughs> I don't have any W-2 income at the moment. So I vacated my position and that entire industry doing consulting work for the federal government. And I'm a full-time realtor and entrepreneur. That's um, excellent. And what yeah. is it that prompted you to change. Why real estate? You could have gone into a different career. You could have transitioned into a different type of business. Mm-hmm. Why did you choose to become a realtor? It's interesting. I, knowing what I know now, I wish I was more interested in real estate when I was younger. Just hearing and listening to different things and learning how many uh, real estate has produced a, a number of, of millionaires. I believe most of the self-made millionaires, uh, millionaires earned that, that reality through real estate. But even if it's not becoming a millionaire, I just think there are so many different avenues through real estate where you can obtain and achieve financial freedom. Because ultimately, I mean, to me, money affords and offers you the freedom. At least that's how I see it. The freedom to really enjoy what life has to offer. And from my perspective, it's pretty hard to do so without money. And so... I say all that to say, I wish I knew earlier, you know, what I know now about real estate. And so it wasn't necessarily that I got into real estate because I knew those things. I didn't quite know those things at that time. I had just been encouraged by my realtor. My realtor ended up being my mentor, the realtor that I used to buy my first house. And when we were going through the process, when he was representing me as my agent, he was impressed by some of the questions that I asked and how I just stayed on top of things being an active realtor now and dealing with so many different clients, I can, I just assume that based on his interaction with me compared to some of his other clients, he just saw something in me. And so he encouraged me to go ahead and and get into real estate. And at that time though, I just, I was just looking for additional money. I was aware of multiple streams of income, but I hadn't uh, actively pursued or engaged a means by which I could earn additional income. And so with that desire, I said, let me just go ahead and get my real estate license so I can just make some extra extra money. And then slowly but surely became pretty good at it. And I was really interested in it and developed a passion for it to the point where I was doing so much business as a realtor that I did begin to entertain the idea of doing real estate and being a realtor full time. But initially I had no intentions or no plans of being a 100% commission based type of guy that has no W-2 consistent income. I had all the same concerns about what about health insurance and what about 401k and I need consistent paychecks. And so I had no intent on becoming a realtor, but I guess life had other plans. I love that. And I like how you started out part-time. You saw how it was for you and you adapted to the idea of going full-time, which you did transition into, I think wisely. We had a couple of meetings where we kind of looked at your budget and all the expenses you had and trying to eliminate debt too before going full-time. Mm-hmm. So now that you are a full-time realtor, full commission-based person, I've also seen that you've branched out into additional income streams that are slightly more passive. So mm-hmm. for those listening, active income is the income that you do some work to get the return by going to work every day and then getting a paycheck every two weeks. But passive income might involve some setup, 
but then it's just money that comes in your sleep. A lot of people have been talking about vending machines as the best passive income stream because you set up the machine once and the money keeps coming. What encouraged you to specifically choose vending machines? And do you think that's actually how it's working out for you? Let me, if you don't mind, let me give some background to this. So in addition to me becoming a realtor, I, I've just always been the type to, I, I always believed in multiple streams of income and passive income. My introduction to passive income was through, it was through, there was some like multi-level marketing that was going on when I was in college. So there was Wake Up Now, there was Vima, there were these, I forget exactly what they call them. Some of people call them Ponzi schemes or whatever. They're legit and they're legal, but it's, it really introduced me to and taught me passive income. And so once I graduate, graduated beyond that level of thinking of like the multi-level marketing, some of the things that I, like, I was always trying to think of different ways to earn more money. One of the things I even did was I bred my dogs. I had two dogs. I bred them. I tried to sell puppies and I was just like, this is not for me. This is too much work. This is too much work cleaning up after the mess and they stink. And it was just a lot. And so I tried different things, real estate being one of them. I was going to develop a whole business breeding these dogs. It took one round of that to, to realize that wasn't for me. And then I was listening to different ideas and I came across the, the vending machine idea. And so like anything that I'm going to commit myself to, I did a ton of research first. One thing that I would like, I stand strong behind is, man, if you're going to really pursue something, then take the necessary steps to do it the right way so that you're not winging it. So the vending machine business, for example, I paid for a few different eBooks and I probably did a course or two to learn the ins and outs and the nuances and just to basically make sure that I did my due diligence beforehand. I just look at it. We pay for so many different things. I'll easily go out and spend money on a dinner or lunch or entertainment or vacation or whatever the case may be. And so if I can do that, then I can surely spend money educating myself and learning a new skill. And I got into the, I did all my homework and made sure that I knew what I was getting myself into. And uh, it's been really good. It's been really good. Stand firm behind the vending machine business if done the right way. If I can go into some of the, the pros and cons or some of the obstacles to answer your question, yes, it's absolutely passive income. Ironically, I just came from refilling a few of my vending machines. That took me 30 minutes or so. And now I'll be making money over the next few days before I have to return to the vending machines to refill them again. And so in that sense, it is passive. I do a little bit of work by refilling the machines. I'd laugh and joke with people. And some, when they ask me about the machines, I say, I could do this hungover if I needed to. And so that part of the business is easy. You're putting snacks in a machine. You're putting sodas in a machine. That part is easy. The tough part of the business is actually securing the locations. Your homework and your research is where you'll learn which locations to pursue, how to uh, introduce yourself to them and build those sorts of relationships and what sort of things you want to negotiate, what sort of factors you want to consider, what, what things make a location, a, a good location to put a vending machine in. That's all the homework part. And then some of it, of course, will be osmosis and trial and error. But the hard part is actually getting the locations. 
And I tell people, you have to be comfortable or step out of your comfort zone and be willing to talk to people. Uh, I'm sure we've all answered a doorbell at one point or another. And on the other side of our front door was a salesman. They were either selling home security service or one of those utility companies that promise that they can lower your electric bill or something like that. And so it's not the same as that, but it's not too far off. If you're going to be successful in the vending machine business, you've got to be willing to park in the parking lot, walk through the front door of any old establishment and talk to the decision makers and um, sell yourself and your business. And so most times it'll be a no. And so that's the second layer behind the challenge in that, in, in this pursuit and in this endeavor is that you have to be willing to talk to people and they have, and you have to be able to convey yourself in a manner with which they'll believe in you and your business. And two, you have to be willing to take the L's on the chin and keep it moving because it's, it's a numbers game. I've been able to successfully get, uh, we've got eight machines at seven different locations in about six months. So we've experienced some rapid growth, but out of the six locations we have, I've tried 60. Uh, wow. It's one of those things where most times an establishment, whether it's an apartment or whether it's a gym or whether it's a, like an auto shop, most times they're either going to say, no, they're not interested. They have a machine already, uh, or they'll at least entertain and engage the discussion. But quite frankly, it doesn't lead to an, an agreement and you bringing a machine to their place. So you have to, you got to follow up and you can't allow the no's and the rejections to convince you to quit and that you can't be successful at it. It's one of those things. If you don't have the personality to go out and talk to people and be able to deal with the rejection, then it won't be for you because you'll absolutely have to, you'll have to overcome that. But once you do, like I said, you can do the work hungover. That the rest of it is easy. Oh, I love it. I love it. So really location is key. Location. Location. Real estate, vending machines, it is where you put it matters. And I love how you're saying (laughs) the location is key. I can say I've got an apartment right now that consistently does 2,500 a month in revenue, gross 2,500 a month. That's one machine. That's one apartment, one machine does 2,500 a month. And when you talk about passive income, I look at, that's why I just, I love the business because I'm far better than most any traditional rental that you'll have. Most times when you rent out a property, and again, I'm in real estate. Most times when you rent out a property, you're, you've got a, you've got a golden property. If you've got a thousand dollar profit margin on a rental where your mortgage is one amount and what you're renting the house out is another and your profit margin there after paying the mortgage is a thousand dollars, you've got a pretty solid rental there. And so if I've got a vending machine that's doing a thousand dollars, two thousand dollars a month, that's damn good. That's really good. Most times rental properties that that margin isn't even a thousand dollars. And everything comes with its with its challenges and drawbacks. A rental property is pretty passive too, but you and I have had the discussions about uh, toilets and tenants and that sort of thing. Everything is going to have it, its hurdles. The hurdles with the vending machines is just on the front end of actually getting 
the location. Do you think that once you secure a location for your first machine, it gets easier from there? <laughs> it doesn't get easier. I'd say it's it's whatever the scientific term is for whatever that does for your brain, where it's just where you realize that it's possible and that it can be done. And then when you start to when that first few times that you go to the machine and you collect cash or when you're checking your mobile app and you're seeing the sales. I remember the first few sales. I remember the first few sales were like, wow, this is really working. We're really making money off of this machine that we set up and all we set up the machine, filled the machine, locked it up. And left it alone and it and it's, it was making money oh it, it doesn't get easier but i think it's healthy encouragement to keep going it's just like working out when you get on that scale after you you've committed yourself and stayed disciplined and you worked out consistently for two weeks and you get back on that scale and you can see that you've lost some weight it registers okay the work and the commitment and the sacrifice that I'm making is reaping rewards. So I'd say it's the same thing with the vending machine, but it doesn't get easier to scale because you still deal with, it's interesting to me, a lot of times, some of these, these apartment complexes, the management companies, they want nothing to do with vending machines. They either have a, a stigma where they believe that it's going to draw like loitering and crowds and potential vandalism. Sometimes it's just they don't care because it's not something that's a part of their profit model and their business. And so if they can't really make money off of it or money that they deem worth it, then they just they don't care. And then sometimes they some establishments, they'd rather operate their own machine as opposed to allowing someone else to come in and prop and make money. So you're going to always encounter that, but you've just got to keep going and find the locations that are open to it. And then, like I said, you've got to, you, your follow-up game has to be good. I've got a location, the location, the newest location, I actually had this location sign a contract. It's probably been two months since they first signed the contract. And then I received a phone call yesterday saying that they were finally ready for us to come bring in the machine. A different location, I still don't have a signed contract yet, but I've literally been massaging that relationship for a year. The first time that I reached out to that, to that particular property manager was last year. Now, I didn't hit her up every month or every week or anything like that. That's harassment. But I did follow up with her a few months later and ask if I had just touched base again because I have a few locations nearby. And then sometimes it's, it might be a location where it might take you weeks or it might take you three months or so before your proposal gets up the chain of command. The property manager working at the location, they meet, they're, they're, they're the gatekeeper, if you will. And so then they've got to send that up to the regional. And then I'm sure it's not the top priority for the regional. Um, and it's probably not the top priority for, your, for the property manager on site either. And so they may not answer the phone or you may call and they may have forgotten about you or they may say, hey, I'm going to send you an email. And then they never send you the email. But you've got to follow up and you've got to say, hey, it's me again. I know you asked me to do such and such. Or remember, you told me to call you back. It would be a better time if you call me after the new year. So then you got to make sure that you set a reminder and you call them after the new year, that, that whole sort of thing. But once you get in there, you're golden. Follow up is key. And there's a saying that's the fortune is in the follow-up. Have you ever heard that term? I haven't heard that, but it is true. Yeah, that's <laughs> where all the money was made. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I follow up, serious. 
And so the fortunes and the follow-up is really to inspire entrepreneurs to keep following up because that's normally the hardest people to stay on top of that you follow up the most end up being potentially your most lucrative sales or your best client. You just need to continue to follow up. So I love that all the gems that you dropped. And then there's the idea of perseverance in the vending machine space and understanding that you may not be talking to the person that's in charge. And I think that's important. So many people think, I'm supposed to communicate to this person because that's the person I see or that's the person I know, not realizing they have a boss or they're not mm-hmm. the boss, right? Yeah. <laughs> they, <laughs> and sometimes they may not say that in the initial conversation. So those are good questions to ask too. Hey, is there anyone else that I should reach out to to explain how this business relationship could work and benefit the both of us? Giving them an opportunity to let you know who may be in that chain of command. So that's really good. Uh, I want to understand realistically, what is the startup cost for someone who's really thinking about doing this? I'm glad you asked. That's that's one of the other things that really attracted me to the vending machines and why I'm a big proponent of them. Because relatively speaking, the startup cost is low. There's no real barrier to entry there in terms of startup costs. So a snack machine is the most affordable one. A snack machine will run you like around a thousand dollars, thousand, no more than fifteen hundred dollars for a snack machine, and it'll depend, right? Because you've got different sizes and quantities. You, you might have a location where there's fifteen employees there, twenty employees there, and maybe a three-row snack machine is appropriate for that location. Whereas you might get a government office building where there are fifty-plus employees. And now you need and you need a five row snack machine. And so keep in mind that depending on the size, you'll pay more for your machine. Okay. And the prices that I'm referring to are for a refurbished machine. That's the recommendation that I have. Your startup costs increases significantly if you buy a brand new machine. Uh, and you might be able to find cheaper machines if you purchase a machine on Facebook Marketplace or OfferUp or Craigslist. But In my opinion, there's risk with that that I don't want to take in terms of not knowing the condition, not having any sort of warranty, and then I have to physically go get the machine and transport the machine and everything like that. I'd rather pay for a machine refurbished yeah, that that has been worked on and that seller or manufacturer or wholesaler can guarantee that this machine works. And a thousand to twelve hundred or so would be like the cost of your snack machine. Next in line would be your drink machine. If you had a, a drink machine, like at a gym, for example, a drink machine will cost you like nineteen hundred, two thousand dollars for a drink machine. Your most expensive machine would be your combo machine. Your combo machine is one machine that has both drinks and snacks in it. That is my most commonly used machine. These different locations, they consider uh, basically how much size or how much space they may have in their facility to house a machine. And so it's a lot easier to accommodate one combo machine than it is to accommodate one snack plus one drink when you're just Mm -hmm. speaking with floor space and Mm -hmm. where on the wall you're going to put the machine, et cetera. And oftentimes one combo machine is enough to handle the volume and the traffic of a location anyways. And so it just makes more sense. But your combo machine can run you anywhere from $3,000 to $3,500. And so that's the tier 
of prices, right? Now, technically, all you really need is the machine plus your inventory, which would be you getting your snacks and your drinks, whether that's Sam's, Costco, BJ's, Restaurant Depot, et cetera. We'll say ballpark anywhere from three to $500, right? For your inventory, for you to go purchase the things that you're going to put in your machine. And then uh, on top of that, technically that's all you really need. Now you'll have to, you'll have to, in order for your machine to work, you need coins to dispense change for people. So you might spend $20 for your quarters, nickels, dimes, but at a bare, so if you go with the bare necessities where you've just got machine inventory coins, you can be in business for, what is that? $2,500, $3,000. If you're putting up a snack machine somewhere, if you're doing a combo machine, you're in business for $5,000 or less. Uh, so it, it's low cost entry. And as I said, if you've got a if you've got a if you've got the right location with a good amount of foot traffic, your your ROI will you'll make you'll make your initial investment back in a month and a half, and then everything is profit from there. And so I love it from that standpoint. It costs a lot more to try to buy an investment property. Uh, so there's other other avenues through which you can generate an additional income source or passive income, but the vending machine business, it doesn't cost much to get in. Now, of course, I elaborate on other suggested components of your business in order to be successful. Like, of course, eventually you'll want to LLC and make sure that you have a business. You might want a landing page. You might want an email account so that when you are reaching out to these business owners, and these property managers and whoever the owner of the gym is, et cetera, et cetera, that you're not sending them an email from blakelakersfan at gmail.com. You're sending them an email from blake.bozeman at vitalvending.co. Because again, we're talking follow-up. We're talking, they've got to believe in you. They want to believe that you're a legitimate business and they want to, you want them to take you seriously. And so there's different ancillary costs there. You'll likely need some storage bins. You'll likely need a dolly to help you transport. You've got cases of water, cases of Gatorade, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, my business partner and I, we recently got a storage unit because we've scaled to that point where <laughs> we've got, I have a garage, but I've got cases of Gatorades and sodas and stuff in my garage. So now we went ahead and committed to getting a storage unit costs us just under $60 a month. So even that itself, it's not expensive. We have insurance, a lot like liability insurance. So some locations, they may require, hey, we want to make sure that you've got liability insurance just in case this place burns down. We know that your business and your machine is insured. I know for schools, typically, they'll require that you have insurance before they agree to place a vending, one of your vending machines in, in their school. You have to have insurance. So there, there's different costs there, but technically you don't necessarily need those things to get started. You could start to generate some profit first and then start grab yourself some storage bins, grab yourself a dolly, get one of the other things that I recommend. And one of the things that we did from the jump, we went and I got on fiverr.com and I created a logo. And so after creating the logo, I then reached out to a guy I knew to get some polos made. So now when I'm entering these, these potential locations, uh, I'm walking in with a folder and I've got a printout 
of like I've got a one pager that speaks a little bit about my business. I've got a logo on there. I've got a business card with my logo on the back, my name, my business email. I've got a polo on with my logo. So I'm a legitimate business. I'm not just some guy that woke up three days ago and decided I was going to try to get some vending machines, which is fine. Sometimes you got to get it, you know how you can get it. But if you've got the means and when you get the means after your first profitable machine, those are some of the other expenses that you'll want to consider as you scale your business. Okay. That's really good. I have a quick question though. Do you buy the machine before or after you find your first location? You don't buy that machine until you've got a signed agreement <laughs> from the location that they want that machine. And that that would be a critical mistake to buy the machine first, because then where are you going to keep it until you get a location? Once you get the location, they may say, we want a combo machine. But you went and bought a snack machine from somebody on Instagram already. And so you can't even put that machine in that location because you got a snack machine and they want a combo Uh, or yeah, you just, you always have to get the location first and clarify what sort of machine they want. You might, you might fool around and buy a machine. You might come across something that seems like a great deal. They've got a, a three row drink machine and then the location you get might be, it, it could be a, it could be a gym. And they've got so many people coming in that gym on a regular basis that that they'll wipe your three row drink machine out in half a day. So now you've got a three row drink machine in there and you're hustling back and forth to refill the machine more than you would really need to if you had an adequate machine that could handle the sales, the appropriate sales volume. So you always have to get the location first and then you get the machine. That's also a key part to this business. The same way a key part to my business is having a reputable, experienced, capable lender to connect my buyers with so that they are in the best hands possible when it comes to financing and conveying and submitting strong offers against other competing offers in this market. My success in the vending machine business is heavily dependent upon where I can source my machines from. I've got to be able to commit to a location and say, hey, I can get this machine to you in a week or I can get this machine to you in two weeks. Like I've got I got a plug. I got my plug. I don't have to when you when you agree. Hey, Blake, we've thought about it. We're going to go with you. We want your machine. It's a lot tougher if I've got to then get online and start trying to find out where I'm going to get my machine from. If I've got to scroll through OfferUp and let go and scroll through Facebook Marketplace and make a bunch of different phone calls and try and figure out where I can get a machine from. Whereas if I've got a wholesaler, I just call my guy. Hey, I need a four-row drink machine. Hey, I need a five-row combo machine. Hey, I need a a three-row snack machine. What do you have? And, and, And that person has to be reliable as well. When you're dealing with these different locations, they'll say, hey, uh, Thursday would be a bad day for you to come bring that machine. That's not going to work for us. Can you bring it on Friday? Bring it Friday. And can you bring it what time or can you bring it at 10 a.m.? I've got to trust that my guy that I'm getting my machines from, that he's dependable and reliable, that he's going to be there on time with the right machine. And he knows what he's doing. And that's something that I pay for. I pay the extra fee to have it delivered. 
as opposed to me going to get a U-Haul and trying to deliver this machine myself because I can't afford to drop it or do something wrong and let me go pay the guys that have been doing this for 20 years and they they run a well-oiled machine. And so that's key, having a, a wholesaler for where you get your machines from. And see, that that's something that, that's information that I offer in one of the resources because it makes your life so much easier when you've got a reliable, when you've got a plug, because you got to know where to get your product from. This has been super fun. Now, <laughs> the name of the show is called The Purpose of Money. And I ask all my guests this, it's my signature question. What mm-hmm. is your purpose for money? My purpose for money is for freedom. My purpose for money is for freedom. I probably don't hold on to slash save money as best as you would probably like and as you advise me to. (laughs) I do, however, disclaimer, but the purpose of money to me is freedom. Uh, When it comes to exposure, like one of the things that I value is traveling. I love to travel. And I think that there's value in travel beyond nice Instagram pictures. And so if I can expose my kids to life outside of the DMV, I need money to take my sons to New York and to take them to Florida, to the beach, to for me to experience different cultures and different lifestyles out of the country. And this is just me. I like to travel. And so I need money to do that money. The purpose is to have the freedom to enjoy different things in life. We all have responsibilities and obligations that we have to meet. And I think without an adequate or surplus amount of money, sometimes we get caught in a rat race where we're just, we're working to meet our obligations and our and handle our responsibilities. But I don't view that as freedom. At this point, I'm a slave to the money and I'm a slave to my job because this is all it's affording me to do, meet my responsibilities. But I want to do other things. I want to, I want to, I want to go somewhere nice. I want to be able to go to True Lux. I see this restaurant True Lux that just opened up. I want to be able to go there and eat that. And I want to, I want to be able to go to the to the new hotel that just opened up wherever. I want to be able to do these sorts of things. And so money, the purpose of money to me is the freedom to be able to to truly uh enjoy life. I love it. Thank you so much, Blake. And give yourself more credit because you have come a long way. I always watch your growth and I love to see you grinding. You featuring me on your show. I tune in and I keep keep up to date and abreast with the different guests that you have on here. So it's absolutely an honor to be in this space and amongst such company. This has been really great. I look forward to hearing who starts their own vending machine business after yes, listening to yes, this episode. <laughs> Thanks so much again, Blake. Talk to All you right. later. Really Until to next you. time, keep building generational wealth. Thank you for listening to the Purpose of Money podcast. For more resources and information, check out my website, thepurposeofmoney.com. And while you're there, please sign up for our newsletter so you'll have all the latest information on new episodes and blog posts. Until next time, keep building generational wealth.